0: From Esther 4, 9 through 17. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai, Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king's these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And you, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Morchai, Go, get all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, nights, or days. And I, my young women, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're continuing on in a sermon series about broken people. And this one is entitled Fearfully Broken. So what I want to first say about this amazing book in esther is this Um, as i continued to study the life of esther as i continued to look at this book i realized there's a lot here and i would say on tuesday of this week i had about an hour and a half sermon i mean it was long and big so are you strapped in and ready to go no i decided that that would be a bad thing and what i needed to do really is Whittle it down to where we've kind of been resting and and say, we're going to come back to Esther. There's a, a place next year at some point that we'll probably spend four weeks or five weeks in the book of Esther, really looking at some things that are there. But the thing that we're looking at particularly about Esther right now is how God in her fearful brokenness comes in as he is a whole God. He is the God who is in redemptive pursuit for us. He is the God who takes our brokenness and makes it beautiful. He does the same thing for Esther. And what does that look like for us? You realize that October was just last month, right? And that October at the end of the month on the 31st has this day called Halloween. Now one of the largest adjustments for my family coming from the United States to Australia was our first Halloween in Australia. Because there's a few things that we learned. One, Australians don't celebrate Halloween quite like the United States of America does. Did you realize that Halloween is the second most expensive holiday in the united states of america uh, there's more money spent on halloween than most any other holiday i mean that's clear with arbor day or those flag day nobody would money but christmas it's more than easter it's christmas and halloween so you can imagine for my children and for myself what it was like to realize that there was no really big thing about Halloween here. Now, when I say that to most of my Australian friends, they will look at me and go, oh, it's much worse now and much more celebrated than what it used to be, that even in the past it wasn't celebrated as much. I mean, I can't believe how crazy things are getting, and I just am like, no, you have no clue how crazy things can get about Halloween. Now, there's lots of people who think Halloween's evil. There's lots of people who think Halloween's a great way to step out and do things. There's many things that are written all over the world about Halloween. I'll tell you what I like about Halloween, outside of the candy. I mean, that's obvious. I like Halloween because it reminds me that I like to be afraid. I do. I like to be afraid. I like horror movies. I like haunted houses. I like things that make me go, (gasps) like that. I, I really enjoy it. And I like to pride myself and think that it's really hard to make me afraid. That you really have to work to make me scared of anything. Because I, I, I've i seen it all, I, I've done it all, I've been through it all, I've been through all the haunted houses. As a matter of fact, in my, in my family's history, my dad helped run the top haunted house in the state of Oklahoma. That's a huge thing in Oklahoma. That's a huge thing in the country that I am from, my native country. The, the best haunted house that people were frightened to go to it. And I would walk through it as a kid. That's how much I love them. But I think what we do is we equate being afraid with fear. And they're actually kind of different. So when we talk about fearfully broken for Esther, we can sometimes think, well, she's just afraid. She's afraid she might die. She's afraid of this. But it's actually something much deeper than that. See, usually... When we think about being afraid, it's a, an external thing. It's something more of, uh, of not an outgrowth of some deep something within us. It's much more ex- external. And being afraid is fleeting. If you walk through and you get scared, afraid, and then you realize that's just somebody in a mask. That's not true. That was just a jump shot on a movie screen, and it's gone. Fear however, has a way of abiding within our spirit. Fear has a way of attaching to us emotionally that paralyzes us often to move forward in any sort of way. Maybe thinking about it this way, there's maybe two reasons why fear comes in. Fear will happen as a result of circumstances that are outside of our control. If you read the book of Esther, you'll recognize that she has every right to have fear hold of her. Both her parents are dead, maybe killed by this oncoming group of people who've taken her away. She doesn't live in her homeland. She's in exile. She lives with her cousin who raised her. Then all of a sudden, this king, who's so powerful that when he calls his wife, the queen, to come, and she decides not to come because you don't say no to the king, banishes her and says, I'm going to replace her. Now, he's malleable. He's somebody that people got in his ear and talked to him and suggested that he does some things. And so we look at it, and we might remember the VeggieTales version of Esther where all these vegetables stand up and they sing these songs or they do a talent show. And that really is not what it is. As a matter of fact, these women are dragged from their homes, kidnapped, so Esther's kidnapped, brought in. And then she's there and she's given all the good food and all the things to pretty her up, to make her look good for the king. And then one by one, all these women are taken for their nightly audition. That's a euphemism. They go in, and the king has his way with them, rapes them. Then he decides whether or not he likes them or not. So when we say Esther shouldn't be fearful, that's not true. When we say Esther, how can you be fearfully broken? Well, we need to recognize Esther's life. There were circumstances outside of her control that crushed her. There were people in power who abused her. So that's one way that fear comes in. And many of you here today have had that happen. Many of you have been in circumstances that were far outside of your control that have taken residence within your heart and fear of those things have paralyzed you in a way. And let's just acknowledge there's no simple way around it. That fear is part of who you are now. And that's the beautiful reminder that we see in Esther is that God takes our brokenness, these things that are put upon us sometimes by forces outside of our control, and he doesn't take them away, but he renews them and can make them beautiful. But we want to say they're still painful. Don't think that Esther, through this book, ever got over the pain and the loss and the fear. The second way that fear maybe hits some of us or comes into our lives is it's a product or result of circumstances that are within our control. These unknown consequences that are out there that we think about, well, if I do that, or if I make this decision, or if I change this about my life, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And those consequences that we're not sure about move from being fearful those things that are just sort of external that we go oh yeah but i'll go ahead and get over it you know kind of like the first time when you got into a car to drive and you were like what if i run into something what if i what if my dad screams at me while he's teaching me how to drive but you're like but if i get my license and i'm able to drive it's freedom and i don't have to listen to him yell anymore yes i'm driving and it goes away right it's being afraid sometimes fear takes residence in our heart because we're so concerned about the consequences that are unknown to us. We look at them and we go, we can't possibly figure out how people will react to us, what could or might happen to me, the things that could befall my family or me, so I'm not going to do it. And it paralyzes. Perhaps right now in your mind you're thinking through some things that you've thought, I've wanted to do something, but I just felt like I couldn't do it because I was so fearful of the way people would think about me. I had fear. It it wasn't able to just sort of brush off. It was one of those things that it took resident within me and attached to my spirit. That's Esther. Esther had fear. And rightfully... So so here she is, and she's lifted up and elevated. She, she's made the queen. And then there's this other guy in the story named Haman. And he gets really mad at Esther's cousin because he won't bow down to him. And so he decides he's going to kill Mordecai and every Jew. And so all throughout the land, they begin to mourn. all the Jews begin to mourn and they begin to take off their clothes and put sackcloth on, and they begin to pray. But Esther can't, because she's in the palace, and she's the queen. And somebody finally tells her Mordecai's doing this, and she says, he can't do that. What if they find out? And that's where this dialogue that we just experienced, that we just read, happens. So let me quickly tell you the rest of the story, and then we'll kind of unpack what takes place. So here, Mordecai, who has saved the king's life by revealing earlier that there were men who wanted to kill him, and that's been written down, he comes to Esther and he says, through through people, because he can't go see her, says, look, you've got to do something. You've got to go talk to the king about this. You've got to tell him that that Haman's trying to kill all of us, and she's afraid to do it. She doesn't want to do it. And so what she says to him is, I want you to pray and fast. And oh, they just just praying fast. And after three days, she says, yes, I'll go. So she gets herself ready, and she walks into the king's house uh, room, and he says, uh, yes, throne room, says, yes, what do you, what do you want? And she says, uh, can you come have dinner with me? <laughs> and bring Haman along. And so they go and have dinner together. And she thinks, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him, and time passes, and he leaves. And she says, look, can you come tomorrow? Can you come tomorrow? Yes, we'll come tomorrow. Now, Haman, he goes out and he celebrates and he says, how great it is. The queen loves me. She invited me to lunch, dinner today, and she's invited me to dinner tomorrow. And everybody's like, you should really show Mordecai. Why don't you build some gallows so you can kill him really big? The king can't sleep. Somebody reads to him about all the things that have happened, and they remind him of Mordecai. So he wakes up in the morning, Haman's there, he's ready to say, hey king, let me kill Mordecai. And he goes, hey Haman, I want you to go get Mordecai, and I want you to have him ride your horse, and I want you to take him all through the city so that people can celebrate him, because he saved my life. (laughs) Esther's sitting back in the background, and we don't know what she's thinking, we don't know what she's feeling. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting, this book is called Esther, but the two characters who are mentioned most in it are Mordecai and Haman. But Esther's the linchpin. She's the one. Because in her fearfulness, in being feared, driven, she still moves. She has action that takes place. So that second night, she comes in and she says, I need you to save my people, king. And he goes, who's doing this? She goes, Haman, the guy sitting next to you, he's the one to kill us. And he puts Haman to death immediately. Puts his ten sons to death. And Israel's saved. The Jewish nation is saved. Can you imagine? Can you imagine not feeling like you have any power whatsoever? Not feeling like you have any way to move forward? Being so filled with fear that has attached itself internally to you. Has leached itself onto your soul. That you don't trust anything. You don't believe anything's possible. And yet somehow, in some way, you move. Oftentimes what they talk about when people do sermons on this, and I would have done it in the past as well, is they say, well, they fasted. they fasted and prayed. And that was great. They fasted and prayed. That's what you do as Christians. You fast and pray. This week, the Washington Post had a story. And essentially, the author, Kristen Powers, writes about how thoughts and prayers Are beginning to sound profane in the United States, and particularly after all the gun violence that's happened over the last few weeks within the United States, that there are men and women who purport faith and say, well, our thoughts and prayers are with them, but they don't fight to change anything, any law that would keep weapons of destruction out of people's hands. Our thoughts and prayers are with you, but they don't do anything to sort of give food to those who are hungry. They don't work to save those. Our thoughts and prayers are with, and so you can see how it begins to sound profane. As a matter of fact, there are two really interesting quotes that were in that article. I wanna read them to you. One says this, that if we profess to follow Jesus, all of our talk must be indivisibly connected all of our deeds. If there are no deeds, then the talk is meaningless. The contrived empty platitudes from these politicians are a public relations gimmick to avoid confronting these ideologically captive religion, which bears no fruit. And then she says, James Martin, who's a Jesuit priest, says this, if your thoughts and prayers are truly with somebody, it means you're going to do something to help them. Jesus prayed, but he prayed and then he acted. We also must act. Miroslav Volve said this in that article. If you're willing to pray for a problem, but you're unwilling to try and resolve the problem, then your prayers are meaningless. Look, in James 2, 16, there's this great thing where James says, if somebody comes in and they're hungry and you say, peace be with you, go, be well, but you don't do anything to feed them, it's worthless. In our lives, there are things that come into our hearts, directed by God, that we hold on to and we see and we recognize and we say, I need to pray for that. But we should then move and say, what's the next step? What's the action that needs to take place? What, th- that's why we're having Love Makes a Way here on Tuesday night, honestly. Because we can just not pray about it just anymore. We, we have to actually figure out what we need to do. maybe you're here and you're thinking I, I, there's other things that i've just been praying about but i my neighbor I, i've seen my neighbor and they they've been hurting and they've been broken and they've been sick and i i've told them over and over again i'm going to pray for you let me just say you need to go next door and bring them a meal or check on them prayers are not ineffective <laughs> hey, listen Prayers are the things that align us with what God is doing already. Prayers are the things that are going to change our mind. Prayers are the things in our calling out, in, in, our, in our sort of despair even, to say, I don't understand this. That God comes in in his mighty, loving, steadfastness and adjusts our hearts to step into the place that he is moving already. And so Esther says, pray and fast. But then she acts. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not about care for other people. Maybe that's not the fear that you have that resides within you. Because, because you, you do that. <laughs> You're active in people's lives. You, you pursue it. But, but maybe the fear that's in your life is the consequence of joining with other people. I think sadly in our lives, we label too quickly. And we say, that, that's not, I, I like that person, but that's not somebody I could join with. Maybe the consequence is that people are going to see you and they're going to go, um, wow, you hang out with that type of person? I, I'm not sure I can be your friend anymore. And it works both ways. If we think of our lives as a family, there are people within our family that have hurt us, that we don't want to be near anymore. And sometimes that's good. We shouldn't be around certain people that have hurt us. But I would say a lot of the time, it's just because of a disagreement over something that's not trivial But it's not something that should separate us as family. Just because someone might hold a different political view than me, but they still believe that Jesus is Jesus, that God is God, doesn't mean I get to pull away from them. If anything, it means I need to engage more. And I would hope the same for them if they have a different political view than me. If I have a different way of raising my children, and somebody else has a different way of raising their children, and we go, yeah, but you do this kind of way, and I do this kind of way, and so that should separate us. No. No. Because we're family, and so we move together. I think that's one of the coolest things that's gonna happen in Advent, and particularly on Christmas Day. Did you realize we're going to gather together, Church Frio is going to be here, and on Christmas Day, Freedom City, another church within Fremantle, is going to come and join us on Christmas Day. We're all going to be together in one big group. All of us kind of have a different expression of faith. All of us have different ways in which we're doing things. But that's okay. There's even probably disagreements. And it's fearful fear that I'm going to get lumped in with people. (laughs) If we're aligned with Christ, then be lumped in. If they're not, then don't be lumped in. But if they are, be lumped in. Be lumped in with who they are. Look, it's hard to sort of wrestle through what Esther does here. Because she steps in, and she's bold yet timid. She has dignity in this place that all dignity has been stripped away from her. And throughout the whole book, we never see God mentioned And so it would be really easy for us to sort of say, well, she pulled herself up all by herself and did it. But I would say that, and this is one of the sermons that I'll preach in seven weeks, seven months, whenever we get to the book of Esther. I believe that there's this idea of not coincidental, but providential. There are things that are taking place in this book that can be far from being coincidental. That they're providential. That God is moving and doing things, even though we don't see his name within it. She moves in a way that's so far outside of herself. We can do the same. But here's the beautiful thing about it. It really wasn't. It really wasn't far outside of herself. Ephesians 2.10 says this. Right after Paul has laid out this great theological thing that says you're saved by grace. It's nothing that you can do that'll save you. That Christ is God's full explanation, full revelation, and full pursuit, that he has brought you into wholeness. He has saved you. Then it says this, that you're created for good works before the foundation of the world that God has laid out for you to do. In Christ Jesus. You see, she wasn't moving really outside of herself. She was moving completely inside of herself because Christ moved in and through her to do those things. It was something that before the foundation of the world, God had designed for her to do. We have things that have happened in our past that we don't like. We have things that have happened in our past that have taken us to the edge of destruction, and, and I would dare say for some of us, have destroyed us. This is not a simple platitude. This is not a simple thing to say, but God Changes it. But the only articulate words for it are to say that God redeems it and changes it. And from up on a stage, it sounds real easy. And the reality of it is it's not. The reality of it is that it wasn't easy for Esther, that she had to have everybody... And know that everybody is supporting her. And at the end she had to say, if I die, I die, I'm going to do it. She had to move forward. But here's the deal. That we all have things that God has for us to do. Every one of us. And sometimes those things are brought to our attention by the pain that has come before. By the thing that has embedded fear into our hearts. And it really moves us to a place as can we say and believe. And I don't think we can do it on our own. I think that's the reason why God gives us each other. I will have fear, but I will do. (laughs) I will have fear, but I will be redeemed and step into it. For God has created you for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Imagine what happens when we live our lives believing completely that for such a time as this you've been made our brokenness is made whole and made beautiful to God let's pray father it is hard to understand oftentimes the mess that we live in the mess that has been put on us and the mess that we create for ourselves And so we ask that you will help us in that. And Lord, we just pray that you will receive glory and honor, that these words will be your words, and that if they are not your words, that they will fall away, but if they are your words, that they will take deep root in our hearts. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand up as we sing some more songs together in worship?